me to Psalm chapter 16. We'll find our text as we're spending the month of November in the Psalms. We saw Psalm 15 last week. We're reminded of the expectations that God has for His children and that we should have for ourselves as His children. And then this week, we're going to see Psalm 16. Just for those of you that like to read ahead, we will continue in the pattern next week, Psalm 17. The next week, which I usually call Thanksgiving Sunday, that Thanksgiving before sun, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we'll look at Psalm 18. But this morning, as we look in Psalm 16, I truly believe that it's a psalm that's going to resonate well with many of us here this morning. It's a psalm where the psalmist is asking for safety and security. And he's also recognizing and making clear to us that the only place that that is found is in God. And he's going to show us and remind us of many of the ways that God blesses us and cares for us. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us to be able to sit and hear this word this morning. So let's get right into the text together. Look with me in Psalm 16. We'll begin in verse 1. The psalmist David himself says, Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Y'all would pray with me this morning. God, as we come to this time of our corporate worship together, Father, we're thankful to have already heard and be reminded in prayer that we have direct access to you through Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful to have been able to sing over and over about how good you are. Lord, how how vast your goodness and your grace towards us is. And Lord, now I pray that as we see it in your word, Lord, your divinely inspired word, that, that we would recognize these things as truths, that we would see how they've played out in our lives, and Lord, that you would use this to draw all of us that are yours closer to you, to strengthen our faith, to prepare us for the things to come, and any that are here that may not know you. Father, that as they see this profile of how good and how faithful and how trustworthy you are, Lord, that you might use it with your spirit to call them to yourself. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see, and I think this is a very common pattern in the Psalms. We saw it last week, we see it again this week. I believe these first few verses, these introductory verses, are that they're introducing us to what David is going to talk about in the rest of the Psalm. That that David here is, is laying out a request in verse 1. And he is also establishing confidence in this request. So he's at one side he is saying he's asking God to preserve him or to protect him. But he is also saying that he trusts that God is going to do that as God has always done that for him. So he is asking something and projecting confidence that that thing will happen, that it will take place. And then through the rest of this psalm, we just see how the psalmist takes joy and delight in God and in the things of God and all of the ways that God has preserved and protected and been there for him. And so that opening, that is really what that means where he says, preserve me or protect me or shield me, God, 
We don't know exactly what was going on when David wrote this. We don't know what's taking place in his life. Or if this is just in general. God, protect me. God, be with me. But I love the picture that he paints there in the second part of verse 1 when he says, For in you I take refuge. And, and wherever we see that idea of God being his refuge, of God being his safe place, uh, I think that there, there in all of our lives we have places that feel like a place of refuge, a place of safety, uh, a security, a secure type place for us. And so for some of us, those are actual physical places like when you are home, like at your house, sitting in your chair, that there's just a different feel than when you're anywhere else. And for some of you, being at home brings about this, this safe feeling that you may not have anywhere else. For some of you, it's other places. Some of you like being outside, so maybe nature, when you're outside in nature, in the woods, uh, that, that is a place that has a special feeling. When you are there, you feel at peace. And for some of you, it's strange, but that place may be work. For some of you, that's just a place that you really feel like everything is established and set and there's a rhythm and pattern. Um, and some of you, it's at the beach and some of you, it's at the mountains. But we have these places in our life that when we are there, we feel like everything's okay. And for some of us, it's not necessarily a physical place. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's emotional things that can bring these about. Maybe it's who we're with. Maybe whenever you're with your family or with some friends, it feels different and, and things feel a lot better. For some of you, it's when you're alone. Everything just seems okay. But we have these places that seem like places of refuge, safe type places. And, and really, whenever I see this word, it always brings to mind for me the idea of a base. So have any of y'all ever, we'll do by show of hands, have any of you ever played hide and seek before? Right? So when you're playing hide and seek, if you're hiding, the goal may be, if you haven't played in a while, you may think the goal is to hide so well that you never get found and you just stay there forever. But that's not the goal, right? The goal is that you eventually come out of your hiding place and get to base before you get caught. And so if you can remember that, you're in a good hiding spot, and you're hiding, and you hear the person coming, and you're nervous, oh, are they going to see me? And they pass by, they didn't see you. But then you're waiting, because you can see the base, and you can see them, and you're trying to weigh it out. When have they gotten far enough past me that I think I can make it there? And this is the moment I'm ready, and you go, and they come, and they're chasing, and then you grab it. And everything's okay. Right? You can't be got. You can't be it. You can't be tagged. You are at base. And at base, there's safety. There is security. Whenever you're dwelling, whenever you're touching the place that is base, you're okay. And this is what David says right here. David says for him, base, refuge, safety, and security is a person. And that person is God. That's what he says here. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And every time I read that, every time I see that picture painted in the Psalms, it makes me think of a base, of a place that when you are there, nobody can hurt you. It's literally like a refuge for animals, right? When you are there, they are safe. They are protected. And that's what he's saying. God, when I'm with you, that's what I know is true. 
And he continues in verse 2 there, and he says, Lord, right, all capital letters the first time, so that's God's divine name, right? Yahweh, he says, Yahweh God, you are my Lord. And the second time, it's the lowercase. So he's saying, literally, you are my Lord. You are the one that is in charge of my life. I have no good apart from you. So here in these first two verses, if I'm trying to sum up in my own words what David's saying. He says, God, protect and preserve me, for you are my all in all. You are the one that I find safety in. You are the one that oversees my life. Apart from you, I have nothing. That brings us to point one. Point one, God is a refuge for his children. And he is. He is a place of refuge. He is a place of safety. He is the one that offers our life the security that we need. And so for the rest of the psalm, we're going to see this picture being fleshed out even more. We see the outline of it here, but David goes further and he explains it even more for us. So look with me in verses 3 and 4. He says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So here we see David, he's drawing this contrast between the people of God and those that are enemies of God. And so in verse 3, he's talking about the people that are God's people, right? He refers to them as the saints. And then in verse 4, he's talking about those that reject God and run after other idols in place of God. And in this picture, he shows us Something that may seem, the, the wording he uses in verse 3, when I first read this this week, I said, well, that seems like a contradiction. In verse 2, he says, I have no good apart from you. God, apart from you, there's nothing good in my life. And in the very next verse, he says, the saints in the land, that's whom all my delight is in. I said, well, how can David say, God, I have no good apart from you, but all of my delight is found in the saints of the land. On the surface, that appears to be a contradiction, but what we, as God's people, what we, those of us that are Christians, that have faith in Jesus Christ, that are numbered among the saints, what we recognize is that in order to be part of God's people, you have to belong to God. And on the converse, when you belong to God, you are part of God's people. So whenever David looks at the other believers, when he looks at, as he refers to them, as the saints in the land, and he says, they are a blessing to me. And we saw this picture this summer. We were in 1 Corinthians, and when we went through 1 Corinthians, we saw the picture in chapter 12 that we as the church are a body and that none of us has everything that we need on our own, but we're gifts to one another. That I have strengths that you do not have, but I have weaknesses that you do not have. And you have strengths that I do not have, and whenever God has put us together, he's given us everything we need. He's given us people to walk through life together with. He's given us people that will hold us accountable, that will grieve with us when we hurt, that will pray for us whenever we are worried, that will be with us, people that will love us, people that will care for us. He's given us a place to belong to. 
And so whenever David looks at that, whenever he looks at the people of God's people, he says, this is my delight to be part of this body of believers, to be part of this family of God. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? It's always read at weddings. This is how you're supposed to love one another. But we realize in 1 Corinthians 13 that it was originally given to say, this is how God's people should look at one another. And so to think about somebody loving you as deeply as Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not hard to imagine us looking at that and saying, that is a delight to live in that sort of community, to live with that sort of family, to belong somewhere, to be loved by people, to have people that care for me and watch out for me. That's what he's saying here. But, but the reason that it's not a contradiction is because those people... The saints, God's people, are not a delight apart from God. It's only a delight to David because he is made part of those people because of God. Right? We are made of family, not apart from God. Apart from God, most of you probably wouldn't know each other. Right? We come from different backgrounds. We come from different places. And I trust 100% that we would not all meet up one day a week together and sit in this room, all of us that are here, if it weren't for our connection to God, if it were not for Him leading us to be together. So it's not at all a contradiction to say, everything that I have that is good comes from the Lord, and you are part of it, brothers and sisters. David says it, and I echo it this morning. And, and he shows us the contrast. We're going to talk about that a little bit more Wednesday night, but he does show us the contrast in verse 4. What's life look like for those that are not God's people, well, it's not safety, and it's not security, and it's not preservation, and it's not refuge, and it's not good, and it's not delight. He just simply sums it up by saying, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So that other God can be whatever you want it to be, right? You pick any idol you want to. It doesn't matter if it's money and possessions. It doesn't matter if it's fame and popularity. It doesn't matter if it's drugs and getting high. Whatever else you may pick in life to place above God is the number one thing that you run after. If that is your God, then you're going to have sorrow upon sorrow. You may look at those people and on the surface they may look happy and like everything is going well. But the guarantee of this psalm is that it's not. That they may look like it on the outside, but there's no true safety. There's no true peace. There's no true delight and joy in the life of those people that have rejected God. And it's a sad way to live, but it's the truth. That the only people that have these things are people that know God and belong to God. And he continues and paints the picture beautifully. Let's read verses 5 through 8. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. In verse 5 and 6, these are some pictures, and I want to try and move through them quickly enough that we're, we're not stuck there, but I also don't want you to miss it. He paints these pictures for us, and he's using language that they would have recognized more than us. But he says in verse 5 there that he refers to 
God as his chosen portion and cup. And when you put those two words together, the idea of portion or what you would eat, what would be allotted to you at a meal and cup, obviously what we drink out of, I believe that what David is trying to say here is that God is his sustenance. Right, The things that you need, food and drink, these things, that God is those things for him. I think that he's really, this is, remember, we have to remember that Psalms are poetry. So I believe this is in poetic language, a fleshing out of the part of the Lord's Supper where we pray that God would give us this day our daily bread. That that's what he's saying is that, God, you do supply for me every day. All of the things that I need. But he also makes a declaration here. He doesn't just say that God gives those things to him. No, he says, the Lord, right, Yahweh, God is my chosen portion and cup. God, you are what I need each day. When I wake up on that day, you are what I need. And then he's, he gives us a couple of others here that fall together. He says, you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So, lot, lines, and inheritance. Those of you that are real deep note takers, you may write those three words. Lot, lines, and inheritance. This, I believe, is painting a picture of when the people of God came into the promised land. So, when they first get to the promised land, you know who's there? Other people. Enemies, right? Hittites and Perizzites and Canaanites, all of these people are here. So God leads his people to run all of those folks out. And now they've got all the land, but they had to divide the land. So if you go back and look in Joshua 14, how did they divide the land? By casting lots. And so they, they literally rolled the dice and said, all right, you, this tribe, y'all will get this land. Draw the boundary line here. This tribe, y'all will get this land, draw the boundary line here. And so he says that, God, you hold my lot. You choose for me where that die falls. And the lines for me, they've fallen in pleasant places. He says that, that in this picture of somebody literally rolling dice to see which land they get, he says, God, you chose which ones I get. And you chose beautifully for me. You have given me in life more than I deserve. And whatever the lines fell, wherever that land was, that was the inheritance of those people. And he says right here, God, what you have given me, the inheritance that you have given to me is pleasant and it is beautiful. And so David's again painting this picture that what God has given to him in life to belong to God to be protected and watched over by God, to be directed by God, that it is beautiful and it is pleasant and it is enjoyable. And I indeed, brothers and sisters, I stop here for, for a moment to say, my heart resonates with this. When I hear David say, when I look at my life, God, and I recognize everything that you have done for me, I am clear that you have given me more than I deserve. And being yours is pleasant and it is beautiful. And I say the same thing. In the years that I have belonged to God through faith in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it has been beautiful and it has been pleasant. And I pray that your heart also resonates with that this morning. In verses 7 and 8, 
He says, the Lord gives him counsel. And again, it seems a contradiction in the second part of verse 7. In the night also my heart instructs me. So who instructs him? Is it God or is it his heart? But again, we see the truth in God's word that God's people, that when we are God's people, that he writes his law on our hearts. Right? He puts his law within us. And so David's not saying, you, you direct me in the day, I direct me at night. No, what he's saying is, God, you are the one that gives me counsel. You're the one that instructs me. You're the one that teaches me the way that I should go. And because I have you, I know that I'll never be shaken. I know that I'll never be moved. And that's something we specifically talked about last week, that idea of not being shaken and not being moved. So point two, when we put all of these things together, verse three, the delight that he has in the saints, verse five, God being his chosen portion and cup and giving him this beautiful inheritance and instructing him in the way that he should go and keeping him from being moved. I just sum it up this way. Point two, God is the delight and joy of his children. He, he gives all that we need and all that we need comes from him. All of the delight, all of the joy is found in him. Because David here, he's not asking for anything else. Right? He began by asking, preserve me, O God. But since then, there haven't been any requests. It's just been, God, you've done this, and God, you've done this, and God, you do this. And I feel safe because of you, and I feel delight because of you, and I feel pleasantness because of you, because of who you are, because of what you've done in my life. And then these last three verses, I would implore you to wake up if you're sleeping because you don't want to miss these three. Because these three verses really bring about the climax of this psalm. They show us that this guarantee, this desire, and the hope that David has isn't just found while he's on this earth. That this is eternal and that no one will ever take it away. Read with me in verse 9. Therefore... My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Those are big words. Glad and rejoice and secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, David here expresses confidence that the goodness of God outlasts this life itself. That the security and the hope and the peace and the joy that he has goes even past death. Because he says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol, the place of the dead, that you will not send me there, that you will not leave me there, that you will not abandon me there. He says that this is clear. David has hope in life and in death because of God. But this is where it's also important for us to remember that there are prophecies written in the Old Testament, specifically in the Psalms, that applied somewhat to the writer, but more directly to Jesus. We usually refer to those as messianic psalms. There are several times that David is writing, and it seems like he's writing about himself, but it's kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch whenever he asked about Isaiah. Is he writing this about himself, or is he writing this about somebody else? You could say, is David talking about David, 
Or is David talking about Jesus? And the answer, I believe, is yes. He is. He is talking about David. David did have hope that even in death that he would be secure because of who God is. But he was also prophesying about Jesus. How much of it he understood, I do not know. But it's made clear for us in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. We have the verses if you'd like to read along. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter explains this for us this way. Beginning in verse 23, it says, This Jesus, he's speaking about Jesus, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he's quoting here from verses 8 through 11 of this psalm, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. If you don't catch it, David here, Peter's saying that David was attributing this quote to Jesus. And then Peter continues in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now that's a lot, and that's some biblical theology. So let me sum it up for you this way. If it didn't click the first time, this is what Peter's saying. In this sermon, Peter is saying that when David wrote Psalm 16, that David was prophesying about Jesus. So I believe that David is fully saying, God, in you I have hope that even when I die, that you will take care of me. But he says something that doesn't apply to David that does apply to Jesus. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, right? That, that his body would not decompose. But Peter says, guys, that wasn't true of David. David's body did compose. His tomb is still here to this day. There's only one person who fits this bill perfectly. And he said he's talking about Jesus. Because Jesus did leave heaven and come to earth. That's God in human flesh. And he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death. Paying the penalty for our sins. And yes, God did offer him as a sacrifice to pay that ransom for us. But God did not abandon him. Because on the third day he rose his body did not decompose, it did not break down. He is alive and he will be alive forevermore. And so now, through Jesus, God has made known to us, verse 11, the path of life. To where we can be in God's presence, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever and ever. Because Jesus said in John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
So in Psalm 16, David is showing us that our real security, that our true hope, it's not in where the lines have fallen for our earthly inheritance. It's good to have a good lot of land. It is. That, That our real hope is not in having daily bread. It's good to have food to eat, isn't it? Amen? Some of y'all hungry right now. That was weak. It's good to have food to eat. Amen? It is good to have friends and brothers and sisters that love you and care for you. It's good to have a feeling of security. But if those things last only while we're on this earth, then Paul says that we should be pitied more than anyone else. The truth is, David isn't having all of this gladness and all this rejoicing and all this security because things are going to be good for the few years on this earth. No, he is rejoicing because he says, even when I die, there is security and there is protection and there is preservation and there is fullness of joy. The joy that we will experience when we die and are in God's physical presence is more full than any joy that you or I have ever seen or ever imagined, brothers and sisters. David knows what that's like now because he's there. We will know what that is like one day. So I ask you today, are you looking for these sort of things? Are you going through life looking for real, full joy? That never goes away. Are you looking for safety and security? Are you looking for a a base, a, a, a place of sanctuary, of refuge? Are you looking for family? To a place and people that you can belong to? That will walk with you in good times and bad times? That will help strengthen you when you are weak? That will be there with you no matter what? Are you looking for the lots to fall in a place that give you a beautiful inheritance, that bring you joy and make your life seem pleasant? Are you looking for those? Because David tells us this, if you're looking for those things, they're found in one place, in one place only, and that place is a person, and that's God. And he also tells us the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, we come this time, and I just ask you, first of all, does all this make sense to you? Because if not, if you have some questions, I would love the opportunity to answer those questions. I would love to talk to you about what it means that God left heaven and came to earth and died in our place. What does that mean? If you don't know, I'd love for us to talk about it. I'd love for the chance to explain to you what it means whenever Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'd love to explain that to you. I really would. If you have questions, please ask those questions. Let's find out what it is that that you might need to understand better, that the Lord might use that to draw you to himself. But also, as we're here today, I ask you, brothers and sisters, is this what life feels like for you? If you are a Christian, do you feel like Psalm 16, or do you feel like your life is chaos? And do you spend more days feeling worried and anxious than you do set and fixed and secure? Because if that's you, you might consider praying like the man in Mark 9 who had a a demon-possessed son who fell before Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe it's a lack of our faith. Maybe we don't trust in God as fully as we should because David, when he thought about who God was and what God had done for him, 
he rejoiced and he felt pleasant feelings and he felt security and he felt hope that was for this life and for the life to come. So if you don't have those feelings, I would just ask you this morning, maybe to spend some time praying and ask the Lord to help you to once again trust in him more fully. This morning we're going to have a different time of response. Uh, Adam is, there's a, a song that's actually just Psalm 16 written as a song. It's Shane and Shane's song. And as I heard it and knew I was preaching this text, I asked him a few weeks ago if he would learn it. And so he did. He spent some time learning it, and Nick and Britt are going to play that while he sings. But this morning, we have the words that are going to be on the screen for you. But maybe you just need to spend some time praying. Maybe this morning you have forgotten. Maybe life has been so good. The lots have fallen in, in good places, and your inheritance and your life has been so good that you've stopped remembering to thank God and started to think that it was because of you or somebody else in your life. Maybe this morning you just need to turn your heart back to God again. You need to thank Jesus for making all these things available, for offering us reconciliation to God. Maybe you have questions. I'll still be down here. I would love to answer your question. I'm going to let you remain seated for this time this morning. If you have questions, come and ask me those questions. If you want to pray, I would love to pray with you. If you need to pray where you are, do that. But as you listen to this song, just once again think about the truth of this scripture and how good the Lord has been to us, and you respond however he calls you to this morning as Adam sings for us.